you to join with me. Let's just ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, you promised that the word would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So accomplish that purpose in our hearts today. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus. For if we see him as he truly is, I think we'll never be the same. You will continue to change us to his likeness. In Jesus' name we pray this all. Amen. So you have come to the epic conclusion of the story of Job, and we're no longer waiting for God to appear. God showed up to Job so that he could have a blessing and a better future than he had in the past. Hallelujah and amen. And to get things going this morning, I want to bring up a safe statement, at least I think it's safe, that life is complicated. You know what I'm saying? And people are complicated. Now look here, don't poke the person next to you. People are complicated, and situations are complicated, aren't they? For example, maybe some of you heard uh, who passed this this week, Aretha Franklin. Have you heard of this? Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul, uh, she was called to heaven this past week, and um, I was doing a little bit of research about her story. Do you know much about her story? Can I let you in on it? It's complicated, friends. She grew up in Detroit, and uh, her dad was a radio superstar, um, but also not a very good man. And because of his activity, uh, womanizing, he broke the family apart. Her mother left at age five. At age 15, she had two children, both from unnamed men. And, um, and, and once she went to pursue her singing career in New York City, she actually left her children in Detroit. She married her first husband, Ted White, who was not a good man was abusive, and supported her career through an illegal career, not very good career. Some say that she lived out her song and the lyrics to Chain of Fools. But then she had this other side, this, this remarkable side. If you put her in front of a piano or a microphone, there was no doubting the talent that she had. She had a spiritual side. And in the 80s, she released this album called One Lord, One Faith, One Baptism where she had her own renditions of Amazing Grace and Oh Happy Day. And so she was complicated because she loved Jesus, but she was also very anxious and a heavy drinker. She loved Jesus, but she was jealous of those who were the, the new A-listers and who were getting into her spotlight, so she thought. She's complicated, isn't she? You know, I know this is a tangent, but I, I just pause, and, and I believe that when we get to heaven, when we reach our end, I'm not going to stand before God and say, hey, God, I'm here because I got it all right. I'm going to say I got a lot of things wrong, but I believe in Jesus and his cross for me. And because of Jesus, would you let me in? I find my right standing in Jesus, and that's why I have peace even today if he returns or calls me. Do you have this peace? You have the right to it. Yeah, people are complicated, aren't they? You know, I consider what human beings are, and, and, and whether this is clever or not, I came up with that human beings are a concoction of history, hormones, and happenstance. You can use that if you want it, right? That's human beings. But then there's also situations that are complicated. I was reading more news stories, and I came across um, why Guardians of the Galaxy 3 may not be coming out. Anyone read this one? Because the actor, or the director, and the writer was actually fired. Uh, James Gunn. Uh, was fired from producing this movie because of a series of tweets that he had way back when. By the way, caution when you use social media. It's there forever, right? And, and when Chris Pratt, who's a funny guy, a good, good actor, was asked about it, he's just like, well, it's complicated. You can read my official statement, but 
I like the guy, not prove what he does. It's complicated, right? But maybe I don't need to deflect anymore by talking about other people in other situations. Because if we were all real, we would all know people who are complicated. And we could all speak of situations that were complicated. You know what I'm saying? In fact, this is the first takeaway. That life is way too complicated for us to completely understand it all. And what I mean by this is that people do not fit into these neat boxes. If you've ever worked in HR, you know what I'm talking about. They don't do that. And, and situations don't fit into neat boxes of understanding with, with neat bows on them. Oh, now I get it. Everything. No, there's no boxes, no bows. I think if anyone would amen this, it'd be Job, right? Job's like, you want a complicated situation? I have no idea why this all happened. I have no idea why I lost my family, why I lost my wealth. And then talk about complicated people. The friends who called themselves friends, they came, they tried to comfort me. They didn't do it. They made it worse. I know all about complications. In fact, one of my favorite illustrations over life, a picture you could put in your head, is that of being behind a weaver's loom. That if someone's making a tapestry, we live behind the weaver's loom. And look at this mess. Isn't this like our lives? We, we see snarls and, and strings, and, and we have the understanding that God might be making something masterful on the other side, but we can't see the other side. I think there's a flower behind there, but I don't know. It, it's all just knotted up, and that's how we live. And so I, I realize I probably didn't have to convince you on complicated people or circumstances so you might be saying, well then, Pastor, what's the point? I have a point, don't worry. See, it's this idea that we've been wrestling for the whole summer with why things happen. Because when we suffer, our knee-jerk reaction, and it's not wrong, it just happens, our knee-jerk reaction is we want to know why. Why, God, did you allow this? Why is this happening? Why is it going on? We want to know why. But if you understand the complexity of a situation, if you understand the problem is complex, maybe you would also understand and accept that the answer is way more complex for God to explain it with a neat box and a neat bow. And so the point I would share with you is this. If we honestly wrestle with how complicated people and situations and what sin did to this world, if we're real with that, maybe, maybe we'll accept that there really are no easy answers. What could God say? You know what our experience is like? I want to give you a picture of what our experience is like when we suffer. I've been listening to another pastor, Pastor Tim Keller, when it comes to this series, and he had this phenomenal illustration how we are like sheep, which I like because it's from the Bible. He, he was talking about sheep that were on the hills of England, and sheep on the hills of England annually need to get dumped into a, a vat of antiseptic, and they need to get dunked into it because otherwise the bugs will eat them alive. They will literally lose their life if they don't get dunked into antiseptic. And the farmers take this seriously. They, they rile up the dogs to try to scare them into the vat. And I actually found a video of what it's like to try to dunk the sheep into antiseptic. And I shared it with you today, so, so you're welcome for this. But, but watch this real quick. I guess it's up, drinking nut. <laughs> Das ist 
Now, I don't know what struck you besides the guy who needed to pull his pants up, but <laughs> what always strikes me when I watch this video is this, right? That the, 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 the farmer is like, like he's serious about getting that head down, right? He'll do it twice. And then you consider the sheep. How, how must they be feeling when they're plopped in backwards, especially when their head is going down, right? And what if the farmer would try to have a conversation with the sheep at this moment? Hey, I know you don't understand this, Billy. Billy's a goat, sorry. I don't know, what would his sheep call it? Sean, Sean the sheep? Anyway, um, I know you don't understand this, Sean, you know, but I'm really, I'm saving your life. See, if, if I don't dunk you head to hoof, the, the bugs are going to get you, and you're not going to love life. And, and so really, you need to know, I'm, I'm loving you in this moment. And if the, the shepherd would take that time to explain that to the sheep, all the sheep would say is, bah, right? They wouldn't have a, a, a way to understand what the shepherd is doing. And, and so, so with us, dear friends, yes, I, I understand, sometimes it feels like, wow, this is not fun. But is it possible that our great good shepherd is saying, yeah, 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 but don't worry, I need to do this because there's something good on the other end. I need to do this because it'll protect you. I need to do this to actually save your life. And some of you, some of you are going to be saved, not because of the good moments in your life, but because in a bad moment when he was dunking your head, you held out to the fact that there is a loving good shepherd and he's going to use that more than he's going to use any green pasture. So I know where the sheep and I know this doesn't feel good. I get it. But we have a loving shepherd who's working on our behalf, and that is something that I believe in. So, so how do we get to a point where we can trust God? What stands in the gap between all the things he's doing and, and our experience? We have the need, my friends, for faith. And where are we going to get faith? We've got to turn to the word because faith comes from hearing a message. And that message is the word of Christ that, that shows us again we can trust in this great good shepherd. So we're going to turn to the story of Job. And uh, I wanted to do a quick review because I know today is the last day. And a quick review of, of the journey we went on over the summer. Even though we didn't get an explanation why, because that answer would be too long, here are some of the things we learned he's doing during suffering. We learn that God is worthy of love even apart from the blessings he bestows. In the first week, Job said, Lord, you gave, you take away. You're still worthy of praise. When we suffer, we say, God, your heart, your goodness, it is still going on regardless of what has been taken away. You are that main love of my life. And I'll remember that when everything else is in disarray. What we also found is this, that God may permit suffering as a means of purifying and strengthening the soul in godliness. And I bet there are some stories, there could be testimonies of people who would say, yeah, it was actually during the, the fiery ordeal, during the tough time that God actually did his best work. I bet there would be stories, friends, if we just got together and had that as a conversation, we could share how through a tough time, God did some of his best work in you and I. And where we've been dwelling in the last few weeks is, We've been considering that God's thoughts and ways are moved by considerations too vast for the puny man, mind of sheep to comprehend. He's too far above. What could he possibly say so that we'd be like, oh, now I get it. There's no box, there's no bow. And so better is to live with a healthy fear of the Lord. We, we talked about being an astronaut in the midst of space. And just as this astronaut might feel afraid because it's overwhelmed by the power of space and the beauty of space, so we are in front of God. He's so much more beautiful and powerful than we can right now even imagine. 
Have you enjoyed the series so far? Let's conclude then. We're going to read the very last chapter. This is after God showed up. Job chapter 42 and see what we can pick out and learn today. You can follow along either in the worship folder or on the screen today. There it says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge. And surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. I was the sheep, you were the shepherd. How could I possibly understand all that you're doing? You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I've just experienced you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite, did what the Lord told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. There was blessing, friends, in all of this. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought him. And each one of them gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. Can I pause for a bad joke? You know it's going well for him because he's already had a, like a syrup industry going to come from Jemima. I mean, he, his, his, his first daughter is going to create this wonderful goodness of buttery and syrup. I'm sorry, that's a really bad joke. The second, Keziah. The third, Karen Hapuk. Nor in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters or with such good syrup. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. There it is. So there was blessing. Could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, there is blessing but no bow? There is blessing but no bow. Friends, gather at Amazing Love. If you've been uh, with this ministry for a while, you know that I'm a firm believer in the seasons of life. There are seasons of life that we ought not fight against. And, and one thing I recognize is we're all going to go through some bad seasons. And, and for some of you, we've been walking 10 years, and yeah, there are bad seasons. But how wonderful when a bad season breaks. Yes, we're going to weep together, but how wonderful when we can rejoice together as well. In fact, have you ever had a bad season break? For some of you, it might be you could finally pay that bill. For some of you, you finally had your health restored. For some of you, it was because of a move, because of a new job, a new opportunity. Finally, a bad season broke. I remember when it happened in my own life. My senior year of college, when I got engaged to Kat. Except she was a junior in college. And I had to wait a whole year until we were married. A whole year when we were separated. I was at seminary in Wisconsin. She was at MLC in Minnesota. 
And I tried to fill my time with busyness. I was not only a full-time seminary student, but I worked 29 hours as a bank teller at Marshall and Illsley Bank. And, and I tried to, again, make that time go quickly. It was a bad season. And I rejoiced when she graduated. And a week later, we didn't wait too long. A week later, we got married and ushered into a new and a better season. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Isn't it wonderful when a bad season ends? Well, as we look at Job's story, we see that he might have had a long, dark night, but that long, dark night, it is broken by the dawn, and a new season is ushered in. What we see in verses 10 and 11 is the start of the new season. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes, gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one of them gave a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, sometimes you invite people over to your house and you bring a dish to pass. They were bringing silver and a gold ring. That's pretty good for Job. And I was reading commentary about this, and Charles Swindoll, this is what he says, Job's life suddenly changes. Suddenly the boils are gone, leaving no scars. Suddenly the fever breaks as cool breeze refreshes him. Suddenly the friends are smiling and applauding. Suddenly he's able to return home and the homestead he builds is twice the size. Suddenly one morning, sometime later, his wife giggles over breakfast, leans over his shoulder, and whispers with a smile, I'm pregnant. How awesome when a new season is ushered in. One of the things I would love for you is to know that new seasons are possible. One of the things that I permit to you is that, yes, we might go high and low, but, but a hill can be coming and on its way. No long, dark night will last forever, and especially for us who believe. Even if we have a whole lifetime of suffering, we will be gathered to a place where the joys never end, but the suffering finally ceases. How great will be that eternal season. But as I look at this, as I consider... One dark night and the breaking of the dawn. One tough season breaking into a new thing. I consider what stands between. And what stands between is a heart of repentance. And what stands between is also sacrifice. See, at the very end of his season, Job said, I don't have it all together. Job said, I I'm not a complete. I despise myself. I repent. And then we also heard about the sacrifice. Seven bulls and seven goats for, for, for those friends who had sinned. For those friends who didn't get it right. And what I'd permit to you is there's significance in this. I permit to you that a better spiritual season is not possible without repentance and sacrifice. You see, you've gathered at the church of God, and, and at the church we talk about many things, but mostly we're, we're concerned about your soul. And so you might have been invited. You might not even consider yourself a Christian, though we're glad that you're here. And we want to permit to you that it's going to be a long and a dark night if you do not repent. We want to permit to you that if you want to go to God and say, look how good I am. You should accept me on the, the value of my merits. You're going to be led with, with, with shame and guilt. You're not going to have peace. In fact, what we recognize in this Christian community is that none of us have gotten it all right. The Bible even says this. It reminds us. In 1 John, it tells us, you know, if you claim to be without sin, if, if you think you have no need to repent... You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you or in me. And so repentance should be our, our posture before God. 
but we also believe in a sacrifice. Not seven bulls, not seven goats. We believe in a sacrifice that came once for all. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he paid in full all our punishment. So that you and I live in fear of the Lord, but not be because of our dread, but because of our wonder. Because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it has set us free. We have the right to live with a clean conscience. We have the right to live at peace. To know the riches of God's grace. A good spiritual season that will last always holds on to repentance and sacrifice. If you want to stay in that good season, if you found the Lord, continue to repent and hold on to that sacrifice. But Job teaches us more. And one of the blessings he shows us is the blessings of bearing pain for the sake of God. I want to talk about that a little bit with you. Bearing pain for the sake of God. You know, a week ago I heard an interesting story. It was from a pastor named Erwin McManus. Erwin McManus is a pastor out in California um, who was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, he had to have surgery and, and underwent a, a six-hour-long six surgery to remove all the cancer. And um, it was just after they removed all the cancer and it was in remission. He was still in the hospital and had open wounds. Where he told his wife and he told his nurse, I want to walk around. And his wife said, no, you can't do that. He just came out of surgery. And the nurse said, no, you can't do that. So he asked the question, well, am I going to hurt myself more if I get up and walk around? The nurse said, no, you can't hurt yourself more. Well, then I'm going to get up and walk around. The nurse said, okay, if you're going to do it, you've got to take some painkillers. It's going to be awful. He said, no, I don't want the painkillers. Because he believed that if he could handle the pain in that moment after surgery, walking around, what couldn't he handle? What pain would possibly overwhelm him in the future? Kind of a crazy guy. Kind of a crazy thought, right? He thought more. He, he wanted to, to be one of the first people to play basketball after a surgery like this. And so it was only three months later that he told his wife that he was going to ho- go hang out with his buddies. And, and secretly he had his gym bag. And so he went to the gym and three months after was playing basketball, even though the, the wounds were oozing and gross, but he did it. He endured the pain to go and proceed, all the while, again, teaching himself, I need to push past the pain, push past the pain. I bring this up because Job has been wrestling with pain. And this pain wasn't because he had cancer. Rather, this pain was in direct correlation to his obedience to God. He was directly obedient to God, and that is what brought his pain. Do you remember how the story starts? Let me share with you how it started. The Lord actually brought up the idea of challenging Job. For he said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. The pain that is then brought is in direct correlation because he was a good example. And if you're a Christian, there is a word, there's a label, there's a vocabulary term for what we call obedience to God that leads to pain, and it is called the cross. A quick definition, the Christian's cross is not when I don't get my parking spot, not when it's not on sale, but rather it is pain endured in direct correlation for my obedience to God. When we consider handling pain, I'm not sure the nobility of getting up after cancer surgery 
cancer surgery. I'm not sure the nobility of playing basketball with the buds three months later, but I would permit to you this, that there is nobility. It is noble to suffer pain on account of your obedience to God. Dear Christian friends, every time you fight to say an encouraging, gracious word because you know it will lift someone up, though it might take something from you, that is noble and that is good. Every time you think you're going to help someone and it might cost you some time and some money, some effort, that is noble and that is good. Every time you choose to do what is the hardest thing to do in Christian circles, which is forgive, because you know how hard it is to forgive, and that means absorbing what they did. Every time you do that heavy work of forgiving, I want to tell you that's noble and that is good. Every time you find yourself weary, exhausted, running on fumes, but you try to live for the Lord and you give it one last go, even though you're so dog-tired, I want to tell you that is noble. That is good. See, our society needs a better example, doesn't it? We chase after all the wrong examples, don't we? We celebrate all the wrong celebrities, don't we? I was watching the Little League World Series, and there I saw a guy from Hawaii hit a home run, and, and he was emulating his home run posture based on Bryce Harper. I think of all the, the young kids who emulate the sports stars. I consider why Kylie Jenner is a billionaire, because all the young fashionistas want to follow in her line and be cool and have all the, the gear that she has and the makeup that she has. I consider our, our culture's phenomenon with American Ninja Warrior as I take my child to Sky Zone. And there's my own course. I didn't do very well. I consider all the kids who've tried their own American Ninja Warrior. But every now and then, and in the course of this sermon, I wonder, are we emulating? And are we giving the effort to pursue the best example? Why do we spend so much time and money pursuing the next American Ninja Warrior, pursuing how to be like Kylie Jenner, to pursue how to be the next sports star? Why are we so wrapped up in that and not seeing the great example of Jesus Christ? Why are we unwilling to bear pain, to work hard to emulate Him when we will bear pain and work hard to emulate others who are nowhere near the level of Jesus Christ? I don't understand it. But Job's name lives on, and you might have heard of his name. And you know why you heard of his name before you even got here? Because he led the way in what it was like to emulate Jesus Christ. He led the way of what it was to bear up under unjust suffering. He led the way of what it was to praise God in spite of the, the tough circumstance. Led the way in what it was to be obedient to God, even though it cost pain for him. What if you and I take the charge to do that? Friends, I know it's going to take something from you. It's going to take effort and work. It's going to take sometimes emotional agony. But I would tell you it is worth it to emulate Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, Jesus he even said this about his disciples. He said, if, if you want to be my disciple, guess what you must emulate? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Yes, it is noble to 
bear a cross. It is noble to keep giving even when you don't think you have anything left. It is noble to serve and to love and to help. This is what Jesus did. Every now and then, every now and then after we've served, and maybe we didn't see any fruit, after we've served and maybe we felt a little frustrated, we wonder, is it really worth it? After we've served and we've put in the hard work, we wonder, did it really lead to anything? And i got to talk about that just a little bit with you. You know, it reminds me of, of working for other things and there being an accounting. I don't know if anyone ever recycled aluminum cans and then got payment for it. Anyone ever do that? I grew up in an age where that was popular. Or maybe it was glass bottles, and you brought them, what is it, to Michigan, and Michigan was paying for glass bottles, so you crossed the border for a, a payday. For me, it wasn't really much those, but, but for me, I drank a lot of Mountain Dew. And so what I collected were these caps, and on every cap was a code. And, and I would ask my friend, do you use your, your, your Dew code? I would dumpster dive to find Mountain Dew caps. That's, I guess I didn't have anything better to do as a kid. Um, but, but all of these things so that finally I could go to the Dew store, and there's still a Dew store, by the way. And, and I think all of these points finally accumulated so I could finally have my, my tenth hat, but this one said Mountain Dew on it. You ever had an accounting like this? A penny jar. What's it going to be? The end of Job's story tells us that there is an accounting for every effort and every work and everything you endured for the sake of Christ. In fact, what I would show you is God's promises for those who are, are willing to endure some pain to serve him. For God says in Hebrews, God is not, what is that word? Can you say it with me? God is not, he's not unjust. For he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God is a better judge and accounter than you have ever met. God sees everything, collects everything, and will reward accordingly. I don't know if you've heard of the parable of the talents. You should read this one. God gave out certain opportunities in the form of talents, and God then recounted what they did with those talents, and such was their reward in eternal life. But it's not just eternal life that he grants blessing. I came across this crazy promise in, in Mark 10. And Mark 10 says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much, read this yellow part, in this present age. I, I didn't make that up. I'm not trying to preach a social gospel, but I am trying to tell you that God says there's blessing when you endure things for my name. There is. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, what I would permit to you in God's accounting is this, that God knows how to bless those who bear the cross for him. If you think he won't know and won't see, if you think he doesn't care, those are the lies of the devil, but that is not truth. He cares how you serve. He cares where, what heart you've given it and the love that you've shown. And there will be an accounting. You know what's even crazy, something I was thinking about, is, is how do you even explain Job's blessing? Like, how do you go from having no cattle to having double? Like, I, I think of the world in, of investing, like you have to have money to make money. H how, how do you even explain, I went from nothing to double? 
How do you explain a wife who has 10 more children after she just had 10? God blesses in illogical ways that, that, that cannot be understood. At the end of Job's blessing, I bet he didn't give a TED Talk about the paradigm of how he was blessed. I bet he just said, I believe in a God who is way more gracious and way more big than you can possibly understand. That was Job's testimony at the end of his story. And that's too what we consider. That he's way more gracious and beautiful and powerful than we can possibly understand. You know, I know the world is complicated. I know there are things we don't understand. We don't understand people and circumstances. We definitely don't understand all suffering. But you know what else we don't understand? Grace. And yet we're okay with it. Why should a God love us beyond what we deserve? Why should he bless us beyond what we deserve? Why should you and I have the right to be called the children of God and know that we're going to live with him forever where there will be no more suffering? Why? I don't have an easy answer. I just have a label. Amazing love. It's grace. And may this grace speak peace to your hearts once again and encourage you in every season. Amen.